This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Thank you all for being with me here again today. Lots to get to. Programming note, as I've mentioned a couple times this this week, no shows next week, no shows July 4th, taking a little bit of time off here. Recharge, refresh, a little bit of, you know, just a little bit of time off. Everybody needs a little time off every now and then. So if you have made a habit of listening to this podcast every day or every weekday at least, um, I'd like you to break that habit for six weekdays and then come back strong with me on Tuesday, July 5th, when I'm sure we'll have plenty to get to with Patrick Royce and then NHL draft, all sorts of stuff happening that week that we will want to talk about. Um, this show, we will talk about the NBA draft, Wolves making a bunch of picks, making a bunch of trades. Tim Connolly, their new president of basketball operations, sure seems like sure seems like he likes to wheel and deal. Maybe Trader Tim should be his nickname here. We've already we had Trader Rick up and down the draft board, Rick Spielman. Um, he's gone now, though. Um, the tradition with him carries on, though, with Quase Dofo Mensa and now Tim Connolly with the Wolves. Lots of deals there. We'll get into that and where the Wolves ultimately landed here in a minute. Got to talk Twins. Got a much needed, if tense, one nothing win over Cleveland. One night after, one day, I guess, after losing 11-10, they win one nothing. which is, you know, that's just baseball right there. You go from 21 runs in a game to one run in a game. But for the Twins, the most important thing was the outcome. They get the win, get back into a tie for first place in the American League Central, get themselves, you know, feeling decent about how things are going again after those two very difficult losses. And, you know, it goes to show again how resilient this team can be and has been so far this year. Lynx won again, beat the Mercury for the second time in a row. Sylvia Fowles made her return to the lineup after missing time with injury. That was great news for the Lynx and showed up right away on the court. So we'll talk about that. And Adrian Heath, Minnesota United manager, got a two-year contract extension, much to the chagrin of Loons fans on Twitter who have been ardent um, Heath detractors, I guess is how you would put it. A lot of people upset with some of his tactics, things like that. I'll probably have him on a show next uh, next month sometime to talk about the extension, talk about Everton, big uh, big match with his old club coming up for the Loons later on this summer. First, what did I miss? Like I said at the jump, going to talk Wolves. And I had Chris Hine, Wolves beat writer, jump on via voicemail um, late, 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 late last night after all the wheeling and dealing was done, after everything had been sorted out. And he gave a really good overview of what happened for the night. So I want to play that for you first here. It was hardly a boring night for the Timberwolves as Tim Connolly's first draft included a lot of wheeling and dealing moving up and down the draft board. Uh, They started out with uh, the number 19 overall pick. They ended up with two first round picks, uh, numbers 22 and eventually 26. Um, And they take with those picks uh, Walker Kessler out of Auburn, a center, and uh, Duke's Wendell Moore, who was instrumental in getting the Blue Devils to the Final Four this season. Um, In Kessler, 
the Wolves are taking a a one of the best defensive players in the country. In fact, the defensive player of the year nationally last year in college, Kessler, uh, renowned for his shot blocking ability, rim protecting ability. Uh, I think which is something that this roster was lacking a little bit last year. Now the question is just how much is Kessler going to be contributing next season? Tough to tell. After the draft, Tim Connolly couldn't talk about specifics in, uh, in terms of the players they acquired because the trades weren't finalized. But throughout this process, he has been adamant that expectations will not be that these will be regular contributors right away or expected to be regular contributors right away. If they are, then that's great. But that's not what their expectations are. Nonetheless, Kessler adds some size down low. Um, we'll see if his offensive game can come along and how that will develop as time goes along here. But the Wolves may be adding a little bit of, of height and rebounding ability, shot blocking ability on a team that, that doesn't quite have a ton of it. Uh, Wendell Moore came on really strong. In his third season at Duke, after really struggling the first two years, um, you know he's got the ability to score with the ball, uh, kind of off the ball as well. Uh, really improved the shooting, shot over forty percent from three point range next season. The knock on him is: is he athletic enough uh, to play at the NBA level? We'll see. Uh, I, you know, I think he profiles maybe more as a complementary type of player instead of uh, you know maybe somebody who's going to be carrying a team one day. Uh, and then in the second round, the Wolves did a little more wheeling and dealing, um, moving up and down the draft board. Made for a chaotic night, but they take Josh Minot out of Memphis, uh, somebody who they were targeting late in the draft, who's going to be an upside project. Um, and then they take uh, Matteo Spagnolo, a guard from Italy, uh, who will remain there for now, not join the Wolves right away. They also traded out of the 48 pick uh, with Indiana for a future second round pick and some cash. So a lot of wheeling and dealing, uh, a couple new, couple new Timberwolves to get familiarized on next year's roster. And it just remains to be seen. I think in general, just how much they're going to contribute. We will see. Now, I think it is fair to wonder how much both, um, Kessler and Moore will play next season. But I do think it is important to note that both of them have, you know, traits that could help them get on the court and could help the Wolves in areas of deficiency, most notably Kessler, right? Because this is a guy who is NCAA Defensive Player of the Year, averaged um, you know, four blocks a game, um, eight rebounds a game, 11.4 points per game. I think if you average that out over 40 minutes, he blo I think he, he blocked 4.6 shots per game. You average it out for every 40 minutes, it's like seven blocks per game. It's pretty impressive to, to see what he can do from that perspective. A true center and an intriguing, you know, intriguing lineup options now. I mean, if the Wolves aren't able to acquire a veteran center to kind of maybe pair along with this potential Carl Anthony Towns experiment where they might play him some at power forward, or at least they're open to the idea of playing Towns some at least at the four. Now they've got Walker Kessler, a guy who has, you know, rim protection ability, guy who can finish, um, you know, obviously dunks, but also, you know, block shots, things like that. Things where, you know, Tim Connolly, uh, their, their personnel boss before the draft started at his, uh, at his media availability the day before the draft, 
talked about ending possessions, talked about how that is the most important thing on the defensive end is finishing possessions. And that means rebounding and in some cases blocking shots too because a block shot can lead to um, an end of possession if you're able to keep the ball after you get the blocked shot. So that part of it, you know, it can help address a deficiency that they had last year. They were the third worst defensive rebounding team last year by percentage they were the third worst defensive rebounding team in the playoffs last year by percentage they allowed the most points in the paint um, per game in the playoffs last season they allowed a whole bunch of second chance points they allowed the second most second chance points they did not do a good job of finishing possessions especially when it mattered the most last year and now Kessler again we'll see we'll see how much he is able to help right away but I do think he has the ability to do that and he does have the skill set to do that and here actually is Kessler talking about what he brings to the table and how excited he was to get his name called you know I'm just uh I'm ecstatic you know I'm excited for the opportunity um you know as a kid you you look at this you know level of, of basketball and you don't really understand that it's a, it's a real thing, you know. It's it's it's, a, it's an attainable thing, and to finally get here, I mean, I, I'm I'm, you know, it's surreal. I'm just so excited. Just be a be a defender, you know. I think that that's really what I was, you know, what I did in college, and also just my, you know, playing hard, um, and just just trying to win. Now, Moore, on the other hand, um, a guy who plays for played for Duke, you know, the blue blood guy, guy that you know could you know has those that lineage the and, and had the production in his uh, in his third and final college season really blossomed last year shot 41% from three point range after shooting 30% the year before you do worry a little bit when you see someone make a jump like that you worry if it's you know if if it was a true improvement or if it was a one year mirage i think about a guy like Josh Kogi who shot 38% from three point range in college was pretty consistent from year to year from freshman to sophomore year but when he got to the league it was pretty obvious he was not a shooter and it has not gotten any better. So you do wonder sometimes how the shooting, when the distance gets a little further out, when the spacing changes, when you don't maybe have quite as much time to load it up in the NBA, whether that that player can be the same level of shooter. But um, long story short, they got two first-round picks out of the night. If you look at value charts, I think Kevin Pelton put one together um, a couple years ago. I don't know if he's updated that since then, but basically it had a look at the value charts. The Wolves had traded the 19 pick for 22 and 29, and then it traded back up to 26. Um, you know, second round picks not worth a whole lot in this uh, in this chart, but those are future second rounders. The Wolves did pick up a future second rounder in, a, in one of their second round trades, but Definitely looks like in terms of value, they won the deal from you know getting 22 and 29 for 19. Um, so you know that piece of it, I think was was good. I think fans certainly had debates over who the Wolves should take, especially at 19, because there was some good, interesting players still on the board. A lot of armchair GMs. I don't think they were in the room with Connolly when he was talking about all the uh, you know disagreements and all the all the things they were going back and forth on. Um, but uh, but they certainly had opinions. The Wolves go in a certain direction, choose size, choose a little bit of shooting and athleticism with their next pick. You know, and then the second round, you know, some some projects, right? You know, you're talking about you know guys who who almost certainly won't help 
next year. I mean, Matteo Spagnolo certainly won't help. He'll be in Italy still next year. And then uh, Josh Ma- Josh Minot, um, number 45, um, you know, an upside project um, that, uh, you know, as Chris Hine described him, that, uh, you know, could potentially help down the road, but it's not going to be factoring into things next year. So, you know, basically – they get two first-round picks, you know, and then you got to pay those guys. Those are guaranteed salaries, but it's not too bad once you're talking about down low, down low there. But that is guaranteed salary. You got to you got to carry on your books. But you know, in a, in a perfect world, those guys are able to either contribute right away or show enough potential in development that they will become future players for them. And the Wolves, you know, different regime, different top top of the regime has been leading their last few drafts, but they've done a good job. At doing at doing just that, you know, finding guys later in rounds or even an undrafted free agency that have helped out. You know, Jaden McDaniels was a late first round pick. Jalen Noel was a second round pick. Naz Reed and Jordan McLaughlin were undrafted free agents. Those are all guys that, you know, while not necessarily all of them have been in the rotation all the time for the Wolves, have played key minutes for them at key times and have been, you know, factors for them going you know going forward you know thinking about how this roster comes together so you need guys like that you need to be able to put a roster together like that it can't just be number one overall picks that are supplying all of the firepower on your roster so I think it'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out I think I don't think we learned a ton about Connolly's draft strategy we couldn't he couldn't talk about most of the players they drafted because they were all part of draft night trades that can't be officially consummated until the league year starts. But um, it, it was interesting to hear Connolly talk a little bit about after after the draft about just kind of what kind of player he does look for. So let's listen to that now. I like guys that care to be in the gym. I don't like guys that are, you know are, have one skill set. I like to. You know, I'm from Baltimore, so is he nice? Is the player nice? Like, I like nice players, the guys that can hoop. So I don't know if that's quantifiable. I don't know if that's, you know, some really cool way in which I approach scouting. But when you play, like, you like hoopers. I think the biggest thing Wolves fans have to be excited about right now is the possibility of a big lineup with Kessler and maybe being able to finish off possessions more regularly when he is in the game. And just the idea of can you create different matchups for Carl Anthony Towns that he can exploit on offense and take some of the pressure off of him on defense to have to do so many different things at the rim. Just remember, <clears throat> Wolves in the playoffs last year gathered just 69% of all available defensive rebounds. If they are truly, if Walker Kessler is truly the nice player that, uh, that, that Tim Connolly is hinting at, that number will improve next season. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Now, before we get to the Twins, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk at least a little bit about the top of the whole draft board, Chet Holmgren. Minnehaha Academy star goes number two overall to Oklahoma City. Orlando passes on him with the number one pick, does not reunite him with former Minnehaha Academy teammate Jalen Suggs, who the Magic took last year. But nevertheless, that is two straight top five picks, not just for Minnesota, but for Minnehaha Academy, a school not too far away from where I live, like a little over a mile away from where I live. I've gone and watched games there before. It is unbelievable to me to think about how 
that school is now producing, you know, has now produced two back-to-back top five picks in the NBA. Just an amazing story, an amazing time for Minnesota basketball. Best of luck to Chet Holmgren. I'm sure we're going to be, you know, reliving, revisiting this uh, this draft. You know, the top three of the draft board because there's a lot of debate over, you know, over whether uh, you know, who should be number one. You know, Orlando ends up going with Paolo Banchero, Duke's uh, the Duke pick, which was a bit of a surprise. And then Auburn's Jabari Smith Jr. went number three overall to the Rockets with Holmgren in the middle to Oklahoma City. That will be, you know, something to watch as the years go on. Who ended up making the right picks? Who ended up, you know, winning or losing that uh, that draft? So that will be an interesting thing to watch as well. Let's talk twins. Like I said at the jump, a one nothing win. Um, some some good news in that game was Devin Smeltzer pitching six shutout innings, giving the Twins the start they didn't really get from Sonny Gray. They were hoping to get from Sonny Gray, but didn't get. You know, keeping them in the game, Nick Gordon uh, playing center field, but Byron Buxton missed a second straight game, his knee acting up. Um, that's not good news for the Twins, but Gordon fulfilling in the way he did with that long home run to straightaway center field, that was good news for them because that was the only run they got and turned out to be the only run they needed. It was dicey, though, a couple of pitching decisions that Rocco Baldelli made that left fans a little bit frustrated and could have, you know, could have been ripe for second guessing, you know, taking out Smeltzer after six innings. He had thrown a decent number of pitches, but it seemed like maybe they could try to get one more inning out of him if they wanted to stretch him out. He had thrown, I'm just looking at it now, 92 pitches. So, you know, it's, you know, for, you know, 30, 40 years ago, he might've pitched nine innings because he was cruising so well through that game. But, uh, you know, and then Joe Smith comes into the game, immediately gives up a bunch of base runners, um, get loads the bases, and somehow the Twins escape that. With the, what Cleveland at you know in the top of the seventh got a walk, a double, and then a hit by pitch. So it's bases loaded, nobody out, and the Twins escape it with a couple of you know uh, fielder's choice uh, ground outs to uh, to to second. You know, I think uh, first base and then third base got the out at home and then got a line-out to end the inning. And then the ninth, the Twins had Joan Duran rolling. He had, you know, pitched a very clean eighth. Um, he hit a batter, but he got, you know, two strikeouts and a ground-out, and then he struck out the first uh, first batter in the ninth. Didn't want to stretch him out any further, though. He had already thrown, I'm looking now, he had already thrown um, a, a decent number of pitches, and he'd thrown two innings on Tuesday. So I get that. I get Rocco Baldelli's reasoning in that. Duran had Duran thrown 17 pitches, probably tempting to try to get him through two more batters. They bring in Caleb Thielbar. He gives up a double right away, but gets the last two outs in the game, gets a save, and so they escape with the win, much-needed win again after losing those two, those first two games in the series in rather heartbreaking fashion right we talked a lot about the the 11 10 loss but the one before that was just as bad I mean they were up 5-3 in the eighth inning of that game and ended up losing 6-5 and in 11 innings so you know giving up four runs in the ninth the next night was bad but uh, both of those cumulatively could have taken a toll on them and if they had lost this one in similar fashion say 
Thielbar comes in and gives up two runs in the ninth. Uh, that would have been a very tough one. Again, you know, a lot of season left at that point still, but mentally those kinds of losses take a toll. So very important for them to get that win on Thursday and get back into a tie for first place in the division. Now, Buxton's injury, you know, one that we've been talking about all year, that is bothersome. That is troublesome. We got to, you know, that's that's something that they are going to be, you know, <clears throat> monitoring all year. But if it's acting up, that's that's not good. You don't want to you don't want to hear you don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear that something that's been keeping him out of, you know, 30 percent of the games, 25 percent of the games already is maybe going to keep him out of more games. That's two games he missed in a row. They are simply a much better team when he is in the lineup. That's an understatement. So hoping for the sake of the Twins, hoping for the sake of Byron Buxton, hoping for the sake of Twins fans that that's a, you know, a short-term flare-up rather than a escalation of the injury that's going to require more management as the year goes on and perhaps you know, another stint on the injured list, whatever it's going to take. So watch for that because that could impact this division race as well. By the way, I hope you're not sick of the Twins playing Cleveland because after the Twins host three against the Rockies this weekend, they go to Cleveland for five games, one on Monday, two on Tuesday, and then Wednesday and Thursday. No off days in there, by the way, no off days actually between um, now and July 6th, including a doubleheader in there. So they are going to be busy. They're going to need longer starts from their starting pitchers, and that's tough to come by because it's Dylan Bundy tonight, Chris Archer on Saturday. Archer um, typically does not pitch more than four or five maximum. Bundy has had some short starts lately, been ineffective, although he was better his last time out. So we will see how that all plays out, but that's a – that's one to watch as you uh, as you think about uh, you know as you think about how this Cleveland series, this next Cleveland series, might uh, might end up playing out. So you know, hope you're not tired of that because it's going to be a lot of Cleveland, a lot of Chicago going forward. Let's switch gears, talk about the Lynx for a little while. Starting to play a little bit better lately. Um, get a nice win, second straight good win for them over Phoenix, and Phoenix not. Uh, not a great team, but you know what? You, you can only control what you can control. You can only play who is on your uh, on your schedule. And the best news out of this game, aside from scoring 100 points and winning 100 to 88, um, is Sylvia Fowles returning to the court. Um, you know that's that that's the biggest news for them because they they were you know she's in her farewell tour, but has been playing so well for them before she got injured um cheryl reeves seems like she's happier right now saying the chemistry has been as, is as good as it's been all season and that could be a big deal to them too fouls 14 points t- 10 rebounds in 22 minutes um in her return to the court that's a pretty big deal for them as well so you know if you look now at uh if you look now at how they've been kind of playing lately, it's it's getting it's getting a lot better. It's getting better from where it was at the beginning of the year. They're no longer the worst team in the league. That's you know not really the the type of optimism we're used to seeing for from this team. But if you look at this league, it's it's pretty top heavy. You know you've got a bunch of teams. You know twelve and five, twelve and six, thirteen and three. And it's kind of bottom heavy. It's not out of the realm of possibility that the Lynx at five and thirteen could still jump into the top eight in this league. 
Um, they're really only two and a half games out of a playoff spot right now, and some teams at the bottom that they could certainly think about passing. Now they're only five and thirteen right now after those two straight wins, but opportunities now ahead for them to to get a little bit better. And so we will see if they can do that. They've got tough games coming up. They got two against Las Vegas um, next weekend, not this coming weekend, but next weekend. And so some some harder games on the schedule. But if they're playing better, that could mean better times ahead for them. Couldn't be much worse than that three and thirteen start. But things do seem like they are improving to a certain degree. Minnesota United announced a two-year contract extension with Adrian Heath that keeps him here through the 2024 season. Loons fans did not take the news well. A lot of Heath out crowd in uh, on, on social media in particular just bludgeoning who are the, the poor. Whoever runs the uh, social media for United just got uh, their mentions were just in shambles. I mean, it's just the team account, but... You know, hop clouds replying. We're really sorry, social media handler of MNUFC. You have have you have to work today. We have a beer for you if you want one. We know it's not your fault that the ownership group has no ambition. I guess it's just another Minnesota men's team. Wow, um, Kelly saying the beatings will continue until morale improves. It's just uh, you know some some others that are a little bit more. Uh, a little bit more, uh, maybe not family friendly. It's uh, it's uh, oh Matt saying let's rehash the Terry Ryan twins, but with our primary MLS club. Poor choice. Ugh. Hey, the Terry Ryan twins won like a bunch of divisions in a row. I don't know if that's the the worst thing you can, worst compliment or worst you know put down you can give someone. But fans not happy. You know the bottom line is Heath has gotten this club to the playoffs the last three years. They're still in, you know, contention this year, although I think everyone would agree that this year has not gone how they wanted it to exactly. So we'll see how that plays out. We'll see how that impacts their support as time goes on. But that extension, official, and now we will see how it all plays out. Let's finish with the cooler. Didn't ma- didn't mention this at the beginning of the show because I wanted to focus on draft stuff, but let's bring it full circle with the Timberwolves and you know looking ahead now the league year starts in a couple weeks they can start negotiating trades can happen things like that um, our own Chris Hine like we heard from earlier in the show asked Tim Connolly about the D'Angelo Russell trade speculation and if he's had enough time to evaluate Russell's long-term fit with the team here is Connolly on D'Lo. He said D'Lo was huge to the success of this team last year. I think he's an elite passer, elite shot maker. He loves basketball. The most exciting thing about this job is getting to know guys I've been fans of from afar. You don't want to force it. You don't want to come off as insincere or not be organic. I'm excited to get to know him. I know how important he was to the success of this team. He's a guy that is supremely talented, and it's hard to believe how young he is. He's seen everything this league could possibly throw at you, so I can't wait. Kind of a nothing burger of an answer, if you ask me. No no knock on Tim Connolly, but not really showing any of his cards there. Not Certainly not saying in unequivocal terms we will not trade D'Angelo Russell. Basically saying D'Angelo Russell is a good player. I look forward to getting to know him better end of story full stop so that story now will pick up as we think about the wolves offseason as we think about what is left to do and whether or not d'angelo russell is part of that long-term future or whether he is packaged as part of a reshaping of this roster 
That will do it for today. Hope you enjoyed the show. Like I said at the jump, like I've said a couple times, no shows next week, no shows for no show on the 4th of July. Be back at it on July 5th. I hope you guys enjoy the week, enjoy the holiday, and we'll be back at you in a little over a week.